Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, compassionate caregivers. I'm Katie Anderson. Together with Martha Tyler, I am one of the hosts of the Compassionate Caregiver podcast. We believe the most profound impact we can have on the lives of children is by supporting, educating, and caring for the people who care for these children, and that person is you. We are so happy you're here with us today for one of our shorter episodes. We are going to talk about gender, how gender develops, how we can support children around gender, and I just want to have a disclaimer before we start. So much of this changes so frequently. So if anything that you notice in this episode is out of place or something that you are aware of has changed since the recording of this episode or since I've researched it even, please, please reach out to us and let us know. You can email us at hello at compassionatechildcare.com. Okay, gender identity. Let's talk about gender. It is a complex topic. There are a lot of different terms. We're going to start by um, defining some of those terms for you, and then we're going to talk about them very briefly. This is just a short episode to kind of give you the working knowledge and vocabulary to communicate around this. So let's talk about gender identity. Gender identity refers to the feeling a person has of themselves, how they identify as a gender. And a quick note here, gender is extremely, extremely culture dependent. There is something called a gender schema, which is an interrelated network of mental associations representing information about the sexes. That is according to Diane Rubel and her colleagues. They defined that in 2006. Schemas are not passive copies of the environment, but instead... They are active constructions prone to errors and distortions. That is what they defined it as. That means that culture will help to define gender for children and adults. So that can be very, very specific to individual groups of people, people being raised raised in different times and eras, people being raised in different locations. So keep that in mind, gender is going to be specific to a cultural experience because of these gender schemas. Now, let's talk a little bit more about some of these terms. So there are a couple terms that get used around gender that we're just going to quickly define. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to know exactly what they mean or think that that's appropriate, but we're just going to define it so that you can feel educated about how to communicate about these topics or understand when someone's communicating with you. One of these terms is called sex at birth, which means that when a child is born, the doctors, the people who are around, look at the baby's external genitalia and decide if that baby has more characteristics of a male or a female. Now, sometimes it's very clear and the child has enough sex markers that are male that they say this child is a male. Sometimes it's very clear they can say it's a female and sometimes it's not that clear and that child is referred to as intersex. I got a whole lot of information about how that happens. 
Um, I've read a bunch about it in my textbooks this semester. So if you're curious, I can give you more information. Now, sex at birth is assigned to us. We don't get a say in it. And also, again, there is a category of sex markers. So you might have some, you might be mostly in the male sex marker category, but have some sex markers that are more female. So it's not necessarily clear cut like your genetics are. Your genetics, XY or XX, are more clear. However, there are people who are XXY. Uh, so that is another kind of confusing aspect of this that people aren't exactly clear on. And this is stuff that we're learning now. We now have the science to talk about these things. Um, next is, we already talked about gender identity. Uh, next is gender expression. So this is how you express your gender to other people by how you dress or what you uh, behave like or how you manage your body. Um, sometimes people define this in different ways. And gender expression is not necessarily gender identity, which I think can confuse people. Uh, sexual orientation, that's something that most people are clear about. It's who you're attracted to. Uh, transgender is a person when their gender identity does not match their sex assigned at birth. So gender identity is your understanding of who you are, your experience of yourself. Sex assigned at birth is something that doctors or nurses or your parents uh, look at your physical body and decide that is what you look like. They're categorizing. Um, let's see. So how does gender identity develop? Boy, do we have so much we could talk about for that. I'm actually going to flip my page to a page in my textbook that I would like to share with you. Um, so a lot of people say, well, we actually don't know children are too young to talk about gender a lot. That's something very common that we hear that children aren't, aren't aware of gender when they're really little, but actually recent research is showing us that's not true. So <clears throat> by age six months, six months to eight months old, children can discriminate between the voices of males and females and they will habituate which means they'll reduce looking time to one category of faces male or female and that means when they're shown a picture of a lot of males they learn to think oh i've seen this picture this this looks like a man or this looks like a category of person i've seen before and then if you show them a picture of a female in those pictures of men they look longer at the female, meaning they can recognize that those faces look different to them. From 9 to 11 months, uh, children can discriminate between male and female faces. They can associate female faces with female voices. And they can, um, at 12 to 14 months, they associate female faces and female voices and male faces with male voices. So we don't really know why they associate females earlier than male, but there are some theories that think because females typically do the feeding, uh, if it's a breastfed baby, that that's potentially why. From 18 to 20 months, they begin to associate sex stereotypic objects with appropriate, air quotes, and appropriate gender. So in other words, they associate male faces with male objects that are a stereotype for a male to use are female faces with female stereotypic objects. And they can associate verbal ladies, lady, man, girl, boy, with appropriate faces. That's 18 to 20 months. So before they're even two years old. 
Now at 24 to 26 months, so two years old to two years old and two months, they can correctly identify pictures of boys and girls. They imitate gender-related sequences and they generalize imitation to appropriate genders. So a male doll, they would have behave in a masculine way or a female doll, they would have begin behave in a feminine way, excuse me. Um, And that's from a source from the Psychological Bulletin that was released in 2002. So we've known this for a while. But how does that work after two? So two to three years old, children are aware of these differences, obviously. And most children do identify themselves as either a boy or a girl at this stage, which may not match their sex assigned at birth. So that shows you that they've internalized gender stereotypes enough that they can identify themselves as how they might feel. Now, some children, their gender identity is stable over their life, which we call gender constancy, which is an aspect of gender that develops. And some alternate as children going back and forth between boy and girl or assume other gender identities at different times even sometimes the same day, which is totally and completely normal. For a year of my life, I wanted to be called Mitchell. Uh, I don't identify as a man. I just thought that was cool. I thought the kid named Mitchell was cool. I wanted to be like Mitchell. And it was something I thought was very special. So even at these young ages, children are noticing these differences and becoming aware. And I just want to flip my textbook page too, because there's something really interesting. They did a study where they were seeing if children could associate female stereotypes with like female faces. And the children who were really good at this, who did very well, especially young girls who did really well, by the age of about three, they were testing, they found that they showed no aggression in the classroom these little girls, the ones who are good at identifying gender labels, which means at three years old, these girls have identified that girls are not assertive, aggressive. They don't show any kind of behavior that way. And they've internalized that message. So even at a very young age, these children are reflecting these developing ideas about our society, our Western society's ideas about gender. Now, mature knowledge of gender really happens around seven years old. So around four to five children at this age have a stable gender identity, gender constancy. They realize their gender is probably not going to change um, and that what you do on the outside does not necessarily change who you are on the inside. So it could change later in life, but right now that's pretty stable. Children become more and more aware of gender expectations and stereotypes as they grow up. And this is particularly damaging for young boys because studies have shown that little boys have less gender flexibility than young girls. So they've done studies and girls are more likely to say that a toy or activity is appropriate for both sexes than little boys are, which reflects greater flexibility regarding sex stereotypes in girls than in boys. That is from that same Rubel researcher, Martin and Rubel. So if you look up any of these studies or you want to know more about them, please send in an email. We'd be happy to tell you. Based on observing others, children acquire ideas of sex stereotypes. By six to seven years old, many children begin to reduce outward expressions of gender as they feel more confident and recognize their gender. 
So you start to feel like you don't have to say you love pink or you love blue, um, even though ch- that's a very common thing that children internalize when they're little, is they believe they have to like that because they are a girl or a boy. By about eight years old, children continue to have a gender identity that matches their assigned sex at birth. Not all children, as we know, obviously. Uh, preteens and teens continue to develop their gender identity through personal reflection uh, and input from their social environment. Now, children may either decide they're going to experiment with their gender representation. And that doesn't necessarily mean that their gender identity is not going to match their gender assigned at birth. It means that they're exploring their identity. This is very normal. If you would like more information about this, you could look at our Erickson episode about um, identity versus role confusion. And that's not to say that people who are transgender are confused. That is not at all what we are saying. In fact, there are brain studies that say people who are transgender, their brains under an MRI function like their gender identity and not like their gender or their sex assigned at birth. Meaning if you are a trans man, so that you identify as a man and your sex assigned at birth was female, your brain under an MRI scan lights up like a traditional masculine brain where a man who is a sex assigned at birth as a man and identifies as a male, it lights up the same way for a trans man and the same for trans women, that their brains light up under MRIs and look like women who identify as women and whose sex assigned at birth was female, which is a pretty big deal that we kind of have this information now. However, people still experiment with how they represent themselves. That is a normal part of adolescence. They're identifying who they are. So they might change their clothing, their hairstyle, their choice of toys or interests, uh, social relationships. They might work on different um, like pronouns. And that's not to say that they won't eventually decide something different. So gender expression is different from gender identity, and you can't assume a child's gender identity based on gender expression. Keep that in mind. It's kind of tricky to keep all of these terms straight and understand them. So I really appreciate that you're working on it. I really appreciate any kindness you're showing to me in case I'm uh, not expressing this as clearly as I'd like to. So what can you do for a child who is showing gender creativity or gender fluidity or flexibility, because sometimes it's not about whether they feel male or they feel female. They just don't want to be defined. And that's okay too. The best thing you can do as a parent or caregiver is to show your child that you love them and that you are not leaving relationship with them and be affirming of who they are as a person. If they're a little boy who likes dance or their sex assigned at birth is male and they like dance, take them to dance classes. If you have a rigid expectation of their gender, of what it means to be male, they are more likely to perhaps reject that because that's not who they are on the inside. So just supporting your child for who they are, loving them, if they end up with a gender identity that is different than their sex assigned at birth, you will have continued to put the relationship first and continue to maintain this precious relationship with this person that you love. 
Additionally, people who are transgender are more likely to be bullied, harmed, or even commit suicide successfully. So that is something to keep in mind to be a strong, supportive space for these people who love you and need your support. So this is a long, long episode about a lot of different things. I still don't feel like I covered it all, but I know that we're going to be talking about this a little bit more uh, in the next episode. Uh, Just remember yourself that gender diversity is not a result of a problem. You didn't do anything wrong. The child isn't doing anything wrong. It's just diversity. It isn't caused by letting your child play with uh, gender opposite toys from what they are normally associated with for their sex assigned at birth. So if your child was born female and likes to play with cars, that's okay. That A, that doesn't mean that they're going to have a different gender identity. And B, it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. That's just the interest of your child. And aren't we all so beautiful how we're so different and we're all the same? And I just think that this is something that we're going to explore more about the flexibility or inflexibility of society's expectations of our genders and um, why we're kind of seeing a push away from that, from these expectations. Not necessarily a push away from gender identity and who we are, but a push away from being categorized by it and being forced to um, identify as one or the other. If you do, that's great. If you don't, that's okay too. Now, what do I mean by that, if you don't? That's kind of confusing. And this was brought to my attention by two different listeners who actually listened to this podcast for me to help me notice any parts where I might be blind to what I'm saying. Uh, I left out gender expansiveness. This is something that is kind of new to the discussion and is something that really merits exploration there is something called gender expansiveness, which is uh, an umbrella term for any expression of gender that falls outside society's current binary standards. The binary standards are male and female, masculine and feminine. They're two. They're just two. Uh, However, that's not how we really see the spectrum of humanity. There's a lot of diversity in how we can express ourselves and how we can understand ourselves. And that is what gender expansiveness refers to. So when I say, if you do, that's great. If you don't, that's great too. That means that if you see yourself in one of these two categories of male or female, that's great. Those are your two categories that you like. If you don't see yourself in either of those categories, then you might be gender expansive. And that's just another form of your gender expression and your gender identity. So something to keep in mind that this can manifest, this gender expansiveness can manifest in how you dress, in how you um, adorn your body. So like makeup or piercings or none or all, Um, how you identify, how you use your pronouns to define yourself. Um, Some people just don't want to be defined by gender. They don't feel like they fit either category. There's something different and that is okay. Uh, So that is something that's normal. I think that there is a lot of pushback in society against that. Society likes to categorize things. However, when we leave space where we are not categorizing others or maybe even just minding our own business about how people identify themselves, that allows the benefits of gender expansiveness 
for people who don't want to be categorized. And some of those benefits are they feel happier, freer to be themselves, more likely to try new things and explore new avenues of who they are and what they're interested in. And isn't that most of life, a series of small experiments to find out who you are, what you like, what you enjoy, and what you're doing for this world and for the people around you. That is most of life. Now, that can be pretty difficult because sometimes, like we said, society pushes back against it. So it can be challenging to be yourself in a world that is asking you to be one thing or the other thing and nothing else. Um, And you can support gender expansive people by being curious, being open. Um, If you are a caregiver to a child who has multiple interests like this or who um, doesn't seem to want to fit into a category of gender, you can ask the child, what do you like about it? Does it feel nice on your body? Do you like the colors of your nails? Oh, do you like your hair short? Tell me, what is what is your favorite thing about it? And use your curiosity. We talk about this in the episode, Curiosity Help the Caregiver, which as we've combined podcasts, again, we will be merging some of those old podcasts over so you can re-listen to them. But using your curiosity is always a wonderful tool for getting to know other people. And I just want to remind you if some of this is uncomfortable for you or new for you, and you're experiencing kind of emotional conflict about it, conflict is not bad. Conflict in itself is an opportunity to learn to love someone better. And how wonderful that we can learn from conflict because otherwise we would all just fight each other all the time. All joking aside though, take this time to Really reflect on yourself and your feelings and what this podcast brought up for you. If there's anything you feel like you'd like to include or you feel like you'd like to discuss further, please again email us at hello at compassionatechildcare.com. We would love to hear your thoughts, your concerns, your interests, your ideas about this topic so we know how to explore it with you in the future. And just to keep in mind to be gentle with yourself if you're thinking about these things for the first time or if you have someone in your life that you love and you're trying to be more open-minded to them or maybe you're not as open-minded and you feel like you feel sad or you want that relationship to be healed in some way and you miss that person or you're mourning for some kind of loss. Think about that and consider yourself and be gentle with yourself because it's hard to think about things that challenge us. And you should celebrate yourself for being willing to listen to this and consider it and wrestle with it because that's the only way we can learn. Thank you so much for joining us for this very, very long version of this podcast. These are supposed to be the short ones. And I guess compared to the long interviews, it still is pretty short. But there's a lot to cover in this because it's a pretty complex topic. And we're learning more every day as we are exploring humanity and more open to what that means. And this is something that has been around for centuries and is defined differently in different cultures. And our current Western culture is kind of exploring it more in a way we never have before. So we are going to be challenged and we are going to find conflict both within ourselves and outside of ourselves and just being gentle with each other and with ourselves as we move forward. 
starting from a place of curiosity and kindness and reaching out to know more is a wonderful place to start to start uh, for you these compassionate caregivers we thank you so so much for listening we love you guys and we will talk to you next week Passionate Caregiver Podcast is produced and hosted by Katie Anderson and Martha Tyler. If you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, please consider becoming a Patreon member. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Compassionate Caregiver Pod and on Twitter at C Childcare LLC. To contact us, email hello at compassionatechildcare.com. As always, thanks for listening.